All right. If you would turn to Luke 14 in your Bibles. Today we'll look at the price of discipleship. Luke 14, the price of discipleship. This is a, there, there's a temptation that, that I've been wrestling with all week. Uh, a, uh, you know, that, that is av- avoiding this passage. <laughs> to, you know, to, to go on to the next. <laughs> uh, some passages in the Word of God, you know, they're all fully inspired. They're all for us. They're all for our profit. But some are easier to understand, or e- easier to swallow than others. Yeah. Here, this one, you know, I just cannot avoid it as a preacher of the Word of God. Uh, for if I was to avoid it, uh, I'd be guilty of the very thing this passage warns against. And you'll see as we read through this text. But, you know, this, this passage goes against so much of what uh, modern, you know, the, you know, modern churches in America preach. Seems like there's a, uh, you know, as time goes along here, there is a tendency for churches and with the church growth movement to have a, a mega church and uh, they water down the gospel and they, they don't want to offend anybody. And they, you know, they never preach on sin and judgment and God's wrath and, you know, just focusing on God's love and, and peace and, you know, the feel good things. Uh, you know, people often hear things like, you know, if you believe in, in Christ, you'll be happy. Your problems will go away. Everything will be good in your life. Now, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> uh, and that's what so many preachers preach. And that may be true, but it, it very well may not be true. Uh, you may have lots of physical troubles and, and troubles in your life. Um, yeah, the idea that they, you know, preach is that if, you know, that life will get easier, worries will go away. You just trust the Lord, and, and that's all you need. And, you know, that's all we need to go to heaven. But, you know, I wonder what Bible they're reading, if they're avoiding passages like the one to, today that we're going to see. Um, I don't think the prosperity preachers preach texts like this. Uh, you know, we, we don't come to Christ to, you know, you, you, we don't trust Christ to take away all of our earthly problems. Uh, we may have lives filled with earthly problems and physical trials. Um, but we trust Christ, of course, to forgive our sin and to save us, to save our souls. And spiritually, he does heal us. Uh, but physically and, you know, with earthly matters, there are all sorts of things that we may struggle with through, through, you know, through the course of our lives. Um, you know, we, you know, we come to Christ because, because we love him and, and, uh, you know, for salvation, but we just need to understand that that there may be a hard road. There may be a price to pay. Uh, salvation is simple and free and we, and we understand that we are saved with, you know, like the faith of a child, but the, uh, the road of, of walking with the Lord and living for him throughout life could be very difficult and costly. It could cost you everything. And as Christians, this is a very important thing to understand. It's not a popular message, but it's biblical. These are the words of the Lord. So follow along as 
As I read through this passage, starting in Luke 14, beginning of verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to, to, to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. And then the conclusion, So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Let's ask for the Lord's blessing here. Heavenly Father, we praise your name. We, we are so thankful for salvation through faith in Christ, your Son. And we praise you for the Word of God, fully inspired and inerrant and infallible and authoritative. And we can trust it to be true and profitable. And Lord, even today in, in a text that is difficult to hear and hard to understand. That Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would work amongst us, to work through us, Lord, that we would begin to understand what your will is for our lives, even if it is difficulty and hardship and bearing a cross. May we be obedient. May we be willing to pay the price, maybe even pay the ultimate price, if that should be your will for our lives. But Lord, we, we just pray for your blessing and direction. I pray you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that I would proclaim your word in power. And Lord, that we would all be attentive. Lord, that we would be willing to apply these difficult truths to our lives. Lord, we thank you so much for the word of God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, here as we look at the context, uh, you know, we've been... The last several weeks, the context, Jesus has been at the Pharisee's house having a meal and very eventful time there with the Pharisees and he's teaching lessons on pride and, and the need for humility and he was just pointing out some things he saw and used those as teaching opportunities, how they were so proud and greedy and always wanted the best seats and only wanted to invite the most important people who could repay the favor, and things like that. But here we come to a new setting, and we don't know how much time has passed, probably not a lot of time, but a new scene is, has come here, uh, starting at verse 25. And the first point we see is the crowds. The crowds. And we see that in 25. Now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said, to, to them. These great crowds. It, Jesus at this point, now he's nearing the end of his ministry. He's 
one source I looked at said he's within a month of his death here. Another said within a few months of his death, but he's nearing the end of his earthly life. And at this point, the crowds haven't turned on him yet, and he's very popular. You know, he's performing miracles. He's, he's a very authoritative preacher. And right now, he has these great crowds that want to follow him. They want to believe. They want to be his disciples. And so, you know, Jesus knows this. And he, so he takes this opportunity to explain to these people who want to follow Jesus how much it's going to cost. What will be the price that they have to pay? What will be the price that we have to pay to be a disciple, to be a follower of Christ? Um, I like what Dr. MacArthur said. He said, uh, the true Christian gospel does not offer heaven on earth, but heaven in heaven. It produces genuine disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, not superficial hangers-on. And here, these, these people, they, at this point, they were just wanting to see another miracle or have another free meal, uh, so to speak. Um, and here, he's going to talk about what is really re required. And the same applies even for us. Uh, so the second thing is, is the choice. In verses 26 and 27, here, he, he begins with that two-letter word, if. Very important word, very short word, but very important. It, this is, you know, this indicates a choice is to, it has to be made. If uh, there is a decision to make, and you know, there there is for us as well. Will we continue to live for self and the ways of the world, or will we choose a better way, the way of the cross? And he's going to expound on that. If. Um, and it goes on, if anyone comes to me, if anyone comes to me, that, there's another two-letter word, to. If anyone comes to me, I think this is talking about salvation. And we come to Christ for salvation. We, the only person to go to for, for eternal life is Christ. I mean, this is all through the Bible. It is so clear. Uh, John 3.18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Very important to believe in Jesus Christ. You know, he said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Peter said in Acts 4, and there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We must trust the Lord Jesus Christ. We must come to him. He says, if anyone comes to me. But then there's another uh, phrase there um, in verse 27. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me. Whoever does not come after me. Now this is, uh, I believe this is talking about sanctification. Coming to Christ is salvation, but coming after Christ, following after Christ, is sanctification. It's the process that, that begins when you trust the Lord as Savior, and it continues on the rest of your life until you reach glory. That's sanctification. And sanctification, to be sanctified, means to be set apart, to be different, 
And as Christians, we are to be different from this world, right? We are to live a different sort of life. And we are to grow in Christ-likeness and to, to mature spiritually as we walk with the Lord. And that's sanctification. We walk, you know, we come after Christ. It is a, it's a lifelong endeavor. It's something that we, we do throughout life. Um, the process of growing spiritually. So there we see salvation. Um, if I have my, the option and the offer here. That's, that's, that's the option there. But to come to Christ and to come after Christ, but then we have the we have the offer. Here's my second subpoint. Uh, we have the offer, and this is very important. This is the offer extended to each of us. Look what it says there. This is both at the end of verse 26 and 27. He says it twice. At the end of 26, he says, "If you don't hate your family and even your life, he cannot be my disciple." And then at the into 27, if you don't bear your cross and come after me, you cannot be my disciple. There it's repeated. The offer is to be a disciple. To be a disciple of Christ. What a, what a blessed thing. We, aren't, you know, we, you know, we, we don't trust the Lord just for a ticket to heaven, a free ticket to heaven, or for fire insurance. I've also heard it put that way. Uh, we... We trust the Lord as our Savior because we see our great need and how He meets that need. You know, we desire to, to come to Him and then to come after Him, to follow Him all, all of our lives. Uh, that's a natural de- desire, to, to follow after Christ. You know, if you say you know the Lord and you don't have a desire at all to live for Him, then you probably don't know the Lord. That's just, it's natural to have a desire to follow after Christ and to be a disciple. The word disciple is, you know, literally means a learner. It means to be a learner. Um, and I thought this was interesting. The root word in the Greek is math. How many of you like math? <laughs> Some people do. Uh, you know, math here it, it indicates the effort and the hard work that is necessary. Um, for some people, math comes easy, but there's it, still work, right? It's necessary to accomplish, you have to find the answer. Uh, but here is a lot of work ne- necessary to be a student of a teacher. Um, and in that day, a disciple, is, of course, it was a different culture. You would have a rabbi who was the teacher, and Christ was a rabbi. To, he, he would go around, and there would be a, you know, he would have a group of disciples that would follow and it wasn't just him saying, okay, come at, you know, this certain time and date, and I will teach you. And they all show up. No, they followed. You, you know, a disciple would follow the rabbi everywhere they went. They would live with them. They would watch them as they went through life, as they interacted and, and lived. And as they, uh, you know, they, they would see how the rabbi lived. So it wasn't just learning educationally what they believed. That was part of it. But to be a disciple was also to live as the teacher lived and to become like them. And as disciples of Christ, that's our goal. It's not just to believe what is true, but to live like Christ. And aren't you thankful we have four Gospels in, in, the, in the Word of God that explain exactly how he lived his life from different perspectives? Uh, what a, what a blessing. So 
So it's a learner, a follower, somebody who doesn't just know the right thing, but lives the right way. That's, that's a disciple. In that day, the disciples followed him. There are so many examples, so many verses uh, that talk about the disciples following Christ. Matthew eight twenty three, And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Mark 6, 1, and he went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. Uh, and uh, Luke twenty two thirty nine, and he came out and went, and as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. Um, so important to follow, and that that should be the you know the desire of our hearts to follow Christ, not just on Sunday, but through the week, through our lives. Um, Jesus said in John eight thirty one and thirty two, uh, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. If you abide or continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You are his disciples, Christ says, if you abide or continue in his word. It's not just an initial moment of salvation, and then you just go your own way and do your own thing. That's not discipleship. That's not true salvation. We abide or continue in his word in John fifteen eight, Jesus uh, said, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my, my disciples. You, you have to bear fruit. And of course, to bear fruit, you know, we, we, we understand this with plants, uh, it takes time. It doesn't, it's not an instant thing, is it? Uh, it? It takes time, and you have to continue uh, having the right nourishment, and so forth. Uh, so, we have quite an offer extended to us, to be a disciple. You know, to come to Christ, to come after Christ, to grow in Christ's likeness. So that's the offer. Um, now, the more difficult part to understand is the, the cost, point three here. Also in these same verses in 26 and 27, the cost how much does it cost? How, what price do you have to pay? <laughs> well, it's not, you can't pay enough money. It, there, there's no financial price, but there is an even greater price to pay. And, that, and we'll see that here. Letter A here, hating your own family. Uh, we see that here in 26. If anyone comes to me, G Jesus says, and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters. Uh, he's talking about hating. Is, you know, we must hate our own family. Uh, that doesn't sound right. Uh, wouldn't that, you know, if, if a person just stopped there, and just took this verse out of context, said, well, it's God's will for my life. I just need to go and hate my parents. I need to hate my siblings. That, that might not be hard to do, to hate your siblings. Uh, but, yeah, that might be natural. Uh, but the Bible says to honor your father and mother. Uh, we are to love one, one another. Um, here, the idea for hate is it's a comparison word. Uh, it means to love less. It means to love less. Uh, I, I like how the New Living Translation puts this verse. It says, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. 
your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. By comparison. Um, and in the cross reference, or the parallel passage in Matthew 10, Matthew explains this comparison, you know, he explains the idea better. He says, whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Uh, that's Matthew 10, 37. Uh, more than me, it's, it's a comparison. So we are to evaluate our loves, who we love. And yes, we are to love our families. Love our parents, honor our parents, uh, but we are to love Christ more. We are, if we're, you know, we come to Him in faith for salvation, but as we follow after Him, as well, we are to love Him most of all, even more than our family, even more than our parents, our spouse, or our, our children, our siblings, our relatives. We we are to love Him most of all. Um, so. You know, as, as you evaluate your lives, and I hope there are times when you think through your priorities and your loves. And if changes need to be made, that you make those changes. I like how practical J.C. Ryle wrote it here. He said, quote, If the claims of our relatives and the claims of Christ come into collision, the claims of relatives must give way. He must be willing to offend his family rather than offend Christ. I, th I think that's pretty well said. And there are times in this life, and we all know it, we have family struggles, and we must make a decision. Am I going to obey the Lord and perhaps speak up and say something that will offend my family? Or will I just be silent and, not, you know, and please my family and, and offend the Lord? What, what am I going to do? And here he says, we are to hate our family. We are to, by, by comparison, we are to please the Lord. We are to love him most of all. And like I said, this is very difficult to comprehend, or to, to put into practice. But if we, we love Christ most of all, it shouldn't be difficult. Um, so are you willing to demote your family and promote Christ to the place of prominence? So, hating your own family. Uh, and then the second one here is hating your own life. Is there later in the verse. And of course that same word. Hate or to love less. But your own life. Your own life. Yeah, it's one thing to hate your family. To, to love your family less. But then when you look at yourself. When you think about your desires. This, is, this could be even more difficult. Right? Boy, the, the interests that we have and the passions and the, the goals that we have for ourselves, to set those aside to follow the Lord. Uh, this is very difficult for, for many people. Um, even his own life, not just the relationships, but our life, our identity. You know, we, we live in a culture that promotes identity. I don't know if you've noticed this or not. <laughs> All about identity. Who do you identify as? Who are you? This is, this is prominent. This is, you hear this every day, it seems. Who are you? Are you, you know, if someone asks you the question, who are you? And I like that, what was that movie that we watched? The, um, oh, the one about the marathon. The, the, the guy asked, who are you? And he didn't answer Christian at first. He, you know, he said, I'm a, 
basketball coach, or I'm a, uh, how, how would you answer that question? Who are you? I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a grandparent. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a man. I'm a woman. I'm an American. I'm a Republican or a Democrat or a, um, I'm a fan of fill-in-the-blank sports team. Or I follow this series of books. I'm a fan of this book series. Or I'm a fan of this TV or movie uh, series. Um, how do you identify yourself? And here, we need to identify ourselves first and foremost as a disciple of Jesus Christ, as somebody who follows after him. That must always be our first answer. I, I'm a Christian. I, I follow after Christ. Um, Christian means little Christ. And we are to be a Christian. We are to follow after Christ. Um, there's just there's something to think about there. How, how do you answer? Then you think about your desires, your interests, your passions. We all have different passions. You know, for me, I really enjoy baseball. I enjoy reading and writing and working on model cars and uh, running. I'm starting to get back into that. But you, you may think, well, Pastor, those are some pretty strange things. Why would you like that? And I'd probably say the same thing about you, for all our interests are different. But whatever your interests are, we are to set them aside. Say, my number one passion is being a disciple of Christ and obeying his will as best as I possibly can. Um, set, set them all aside. Be, be willing to give anything up to follow after Christ. Uh, are, you, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to give up even the things that you enjoy to, to follow Christ? You know, some people aren't, aren't willing to do that. They say, that's a price too, too costly. I'm not going to give up entertainment or the things I love. No. And that shows what you love more. Uh, so, hating your own life. And then in verse 27, bearing your own cross. Whoever does not bear his own cross cannot, and come after me cannot be my disciple. Um, bearing his cross. Now, we, we know, looking back 2,000 years, the cross was where Christ was crucified, where he gave his very life, paid the ultimate price. But at this point in his ministry, he, he, he didn't die on the cross yet. He, he had yet to die. And people didn't know he was going to die a death of crucifixion. Even when he told his disciples, they, they didn't comprehend it. They thought, surely that wouldn't happen to Christ. Uh, but back in that day, crucifixion was known, you know, as they were dominated or controlled by the Roman Empire, it was known as you know, the worst torture, the worst and most humiliating way to die. And... The, the worst way to suffer. And so, so for him here to, to paint the word picture and to say, you have to bear a cross. You have to be willing to suffer and, and be hum, humiliated and, uh, Lord, and, and to be tortured if, you know, if, that, if that's the case. If, if you don't bear your cross, if you don't suffer and have physical 
in relational troubles and still follow after me. You can't be my, my, my disciple. Huh. That's an amazing thing to think about, isn't it? A lot of people, when we get to that cross, when they, when they get to their cross and they say, yeah, I'll follow Christ, yeah, I'll love him more than my family and even my life, but then when life starts to get hard and I lose my job or I'm starting to lose friends on Facebook or I'm whatever it may be, you're starting to be persecuted or falsely accused, it's hurting your reputation. You say, well, that's, that's too much. That's too much of a cross to bear. I'm going to just give up on this Christianity thing. Uh, what, what crosses do people bear? What crosses, what painful consequences do we bring upon ourselves by choosing to be a disciple? And we're not talking about just difficulties in life, like, you know, having car trouble. That's not necessarily because you're a disciple of Christ. Uh, that could be, you know, just you have an old car that's not working very well. Uh, you know, it, we, we can experience, you know, I just jotted a few things down, hatred from family. I mean, th- there are times when you take a stand for Christ, your family will disown you. And this is especially true in Muslim countries, in communist countries. Uh, hatred from friends and community. Uh, p- people don't want to be associated with a weird Christian. Uh, rejection, being canceled, loss of, it could mean loss of employment or being kept from employment you, you deserve or you know, moving up the, up the ladder uh, because of your beliefs. Maybe the physical effects of abuse uh, from, from persecution. Um, I want you to keep your place here. You know, I, I just want you to see what Paul suffered. Second, Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4. And I want you to see what some of his crosses were. Here as we think about bearing a cross. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 11. And see if you can identify with him here. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We Perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. He's going through all sorts of trials and tribulations as a minister of the gospel, as a Christian. And he also, he, affliction in every way, all, all these things. We can, we can identify. And there at the end there, the last couple things he mentions is carrying in the body the death of the Lord Jesus. He was suffering and thought he would die. Yet he was willing to continue bearing his cross, even knowing his death may soon come. He was still willing to continue after Christ. Does that characterize you? I want you to go over to chapter 11 and just look at a couple more things he suffered. 2 Corinthians 11, starting in 23. And 
you, know, you, you might not suffer as much as Paul, but perhaps you will have to in, in time. Uh, 23, are they, not, are, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with, counting, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Wow. Who, who wants to sign up for that, <laughs> that type of ministry? 28, and apart from these other things, apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Wow, here, not only is he being abused and near death so often and suffering persecution, he's thinking of those churches he's planted and these new believers and the false teaching and he's hoping, he's praying that they don't fall away from the Lord. Uh, wow. Bearing the cross. I want you to turn back to Luke 14, but just I wanted you to get a glimpse there of what the Apostle Paul had to go through. Um, what are you willing to go through? How much are you willing to suffer? How heavy of a cross are you willing to bear? Let's be faithful to, to, to the very end. We live in a culture and you know this very well, that hates Christians. And it's just growing worse every day. And who knows how society will look in a year or five years. What, what rights will we lose? What crosses will we have to bear? Let's be faithful. If, if, you, if, we don't, if we're not willing to bear our cross, we're not a disciple. We, we may not be a believer. Can't be a disciple. So then we have the calculations. Here in 28 to 32 here. And he gives a couple illustrations to prove the you know, to prove the point that we need to consider how much the cost is. We need to have wisdom. And here he talks about building a tower. And before you begin the building project, it is wise to consider you know, how much money this will cost. Make sure you have enough resources to finish the task. And here the example he gives is somebody wants to build a tower and they, they didn't think it through and they lay the foundation. Then they realize they ran out of money at the foundation. Well, they didn't build the tower and the people, they mocked. They laughed at them. And you know, we, can, you know, we can understand that, right? Uh, so it is when we become a Christian. And we choose to be a disciple and to follow Christ in life. We need to count the cost and realize, hey, I may be abandoned by my family. I'll have to, to follow Christ, I may have to give up my desires. I will have to give up my, my desires and set my goals aside and follow Christ's will for my life. I may have to be persecuted and suffer. Am I willing to do that? And if I'm not... 
then that shows I really don't love the Lord. Um, and then, you know, th that's in construction. Then there's in conflict as well here. Here he gives the illustration of a battle, the king going to battle with 10,000 troops. Yet he's going to battle against 20,000. Well, the odds don't look very good. So it's, there's wisdom in counting the cost and reaching the peace agreement, you know, reaching, you know, achieving peace um, and surrendering. And you know, that's true for, for us as Christians as well. That we need to count the cost and be willing to surrender, be, be willing to come to peace, um, even in conflict. And then we, you know, we, we, we see the conclusion there. And I love that this text, even though it's such a difficult passage, I love the, the last verse. It's so naturally laid out for, a, for an outline. So therefore, and then he sums up the teaching of the whole passage. Any one of you who does not renounce or forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Wow. As if all that he's said so far is not enough with your relationships, with your own life, with persecution and suffering. Now he says, he takes it one step further and says, you need to be willing to forsake all. You need to be willing to give up anything in, in your life. Uh, that's a very difficult thing to comprehend as you think about your life. Are you willing to give up all to follow Christ? I mean, if you suffered the loss of all your vehicles, of your, of your house, of all your possessions, if all, if all you had left, I mean, if you lost your smartphone, if, you, if all you had left was the clothes you were wearing, and you didn't even know if you'd be able to eat another meal, if that's all you had left, would you still follow Christ? Think about that. Now, not every Christian will have to suffer that, but we should be willing as a disciple to say, yes, Lord, even if I lose everything and all I have is just the clothes I'm wearing, that's it. I will still follow you, Lord, and be faithful. I will be a disciple. I want to close with an illustration here, uh, which I, th I think is very uh, per pertinent here, uh, C.T. Studd. He's from the, uh, well, he lived 1860 to 1931. How many of you heard of C.T. Studd? Uh, or Charles Studd? He was uh, yeah, born in 1860 to a very wealthy family in England. Uh, he was in line to inherit a massive fortune. And C.T. Studd at 18, he, he trusted Christ as a savior. Uh, but it wasn't until six years later that he fully sur surrendered his life. At 19, not only was he the heir to, you know, it, it was around a million, you know, the equ equivalent of a million pounds, I guess now. Uh, but he was, he was a professional athlete in that day, or the closest thing to a professional athlete. He was a cricketer. He, he played cricket and was a captain of the cricket team for two different college teams, very well-known, popular, successful. He had, he had it made. Uh, 
but he, he, had, he had trusted Christ, and as he grew in the Lord, he realized about the age of 20, 25 or t- 24 that he would give his life to Christ and surrender all. He would be willing to forsake all. And at 25, he was part of the Cambridge Seven who, who s- said, I'm willing to go serve in China. And here he's in England. And uh, these, there are seven who went to serve with Hudson Taylor in China as missionaries. Um, and at 25, according to his father's will, at age 25 there, his father had passed away, he was to inherit 30,000 pounds, which, you know, I did the math, it's about a million dollars now. That's a lot in 1885. Very wealthy, very successful, but he renounced it all. He, he gave it all, or he gave 90% of the inheritance away. He gave it to D.L. Moody, George Mueller, so a lot of these missionaries and ministries. He gave 90% of it away, and in a couple years he found a young woman to marry, and she, was also, she also wanted to be a missionary. And at the wedding, well, I just want to read this for you. Priscilla Livingstone Stewart uh, says this, Just before the wedding, he presented his bride... With, with the remaining money of his, of his inheritance. Uh, but she, not to be outdone. So, so she gives the, uh, the 10% left to his bride uh, as, as a wedding gift to her. But not to be outdone, she says, Charlie, what did the Lord tell the rich young man to, to do? Sell all. Well then, we will start clear with the Lord at our wedding. And they proceed to give the rest of the money away to to ministry. Uh, so when they began their marriage, they had nothing. Willing to forsake it all. Uh, and they would serve as missionaries in China, in India, in, in the Congo. And shortly before his death at age 70, um, he, he, sa- he wrote this, quote, As I believe I am now nearing the, my departure from this world, I have but a few things to to, to rejoice in, they are these, that God had called me to China, and I went in spite of utmost opposition from all my loved ones, he says. Two, that I joyfully acted as Christ told that rich young man to act. Three, that I deliberately at the call of God went alone on the Bibby liner in 1910, gave up my, my life for this work which was to be henceforth not for the Sudan only, but for the whole unevangelized world. Um, and then it ends with this. My only joys, therefore, are that when God has given me a work to, to do, I have not refused it. You know, I, you know, that's, that's pretty powerful. <laughs> you know, as you think about here, a man who had it all, and he came to the Lord and realized to truly be a disciple, I need to give it all away. And follow after Christ. Now, I'm not saying this this morning that we all have to empty our bank accounts and give all your money away. Um, but are you willing to lose your money? Are you willing to to renounce or to forsake everything to follow Christ? And we, and we must. Um, now, <laughs> as I've mentioned multiple times, this is a very difficult message. Not very uplifting. Uh, 
but it's biblical. Why would a person want to do this? Why would a person want to give up everything and to, to hate their family, hate their life, suffer persecution? Why? Wouldn't it be easier just to, to do your own thing? To live, to live for, 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 for the day? Um, I'm reminded of Paul in Philippians 3. Why don't, you, why don't you turn there as we close? Philippians 3. Paul was very successful as a Pharisee. He had it all spiritually. He had, he had authority, influence. In Philippians 3, starting at verse 7, he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And here it is, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Wow. Paul said it so well, as he often does. The important thing is not what things I can accumulate in life, how much money I can have, how much authority or influence. The important thing, the important thing, is knowing Christ. Jesus Christ is far more glorious and wonderful than you, than you will ever know. And someday we, we will see him face to face. So, you know, we have a choice to make. Either we will cling to the things in this life, in this, you know, we'll cling to our house and our possessions and our, the stuff of this life. Money. And if we love that more than Christ in our family, life may be good. But you'll be separated from, from God for, for, for all eternity. So, so was it really worth it? Or you can choose to let go and be willing to renounce all. And follow Christ and live with him for all eternity. We, we see the two options. What will you do? So I want you to take this. Uh, here's the summary here. Only those willing to give up everything. Family, friends, fame, fortune, and fun, and who choose suffering and persecution can be true followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, so, so, to, so to apply it here, come to Christ. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you come to him in saving faith and put your faith in him for salvation? If you haven't, if you're still on the fence or considering there's no better day than right now to put your faith in Jesus Christ, to repent of your sins and to, to believe in Jesus Christ. Ask him to be your savior. Um, follow after Christ. Sanctification, you know, to, to grow spiritually. Yeah, there are times in our walk where we'll fall, we stumble, get back up and keep going. Uh, follow after Christ. 
be willing to choose persecution over pleasure. And, of course, they're to, to renounce all as well. Easier said than done, but definitely necessary. Don't hold on to things that won't last. We have, we have a better option available to us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you this morning for the words of Jesus Christ. Even though they are difficult to hear from our uh, selfish minds and, Lord, our sinful hearts. Lord, we, we do love you. And we've come to Christ and we want to come after Christ and walk in obedience and be disciples of Jesus Christ. Help us. Give us wisdom. Give us strength. Help us to obey you and to be willing to give up everything to gain Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.